Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. We're in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. It's called Lord Knows. Uh, and in this 22 verses, there's about a half a verse that is like, woo! And the rest of it's like, oh my word. So uh, buckle up and know that chapter 3 is coming next week. That's, a good, that's good news. But uh, just to give a little... Uh, backstory here of the book that Peter's writing. This is the last thing we have from Peter. He died uh, shortly late after that. He was uh, martyred. Um, but in chapter one that we looked at last week, he gives us these great practicals to help us to remain true to the truth that is always attacked that we're going to read about today so that we can live on mission and while, while we're here on planet earth following Jesus Looking forward, which is a lot of chapter three, to the second coming when everything's made right, according to the word of God, Revelation 21 specifically. Uh, And at the end of chapter one, Peter, he sums up, uh, or actually it's in the middle kind of, he he sums up everything that he's saying with this shepherding heart by telling us that love is the the key to everything. And, And this love, because of Jesus in you and I now as followers, it means devoting ourselves to, to the well-being of others, uh, no matter the cost to ourselves, that we live, uh, we live in, in an eternal setting, our, our, our residence is in heaven. What happens to us on here on, on earth, yeah, it matters, but it doesn't really matter because it can't affect our eternity. And, and so we're called to, to live like and love like Jesus and to share according to Peter, in God's own life. Like, we have God and we share in God's life, uh, which is a crazy thought. You're sharing in God's life while walking on this planet Earth, while making the mistakes you make. Uh, I know none of y'all over here make mistakes, but you guys over here, um, right? We make mistakes, but we share in God's life. So then chapter one ends, and it's from here where, where Peter reminds us um, at the end of one, and then, and then in, in, in chapter two, he, he uses some, some tough stuff to remind us who owns us, who we belong to, and, and that we have everything that we need. Uh, in chapter one, he says, you have all you need for life and for godliness. Everything you need for life abundant on planet earth and for you to be godly is given to you. You don't have to go figure it out or attain it. We do grow in our understanding. We grow in our maturing but it's all there for the taking. And then he goes into this very hard chapter two, talking about lies and liars and the consequences of lying. Uh, and praise God, the Lord knows how to rescue his people. Chapter two, verse one. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destructions on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell. 
in gloomy pits of darkness where they're being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man. I think that second, yes, Lot was a righteous man was written for me because I'm always like, really? You know? It was interesting this week, I was struggling with Lot again, like I have over all these years. I'm like, Lord, I, I understand, but like, why did he have to be like, why did he have to be used? <clears throat> and he said, I love Lot. He was my boy. Just like Mary Magdalene was my girl and Jacob was my boy and Peter was my boy and the woman at the well was my girl. Lot was my boy and Scott, so are you. And I thought, when I look in the mirror, you know, mirror, I'm a Texan, mirror, for my wife's sake, she doesn't like mirror or yellow, I don't know why. Uh, but when I look in the mirror, I sometimes struggle with Scott as a righteous man, but Jesus because when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. I do not get that, except I get to get that. Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire, and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. But the angels who are far greater in power and strength do not dare to bring, do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception. Even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals, they commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. That's a great story. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up again and enslaved by sin, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had not if they had never known the way to righteousness, then to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They proved the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit. And another says, a washed up pig returns to the mud. 
If you're a first-time guest here, welcome. <laughs> Here's what I love about the gospel and about our church. We're not going to shy away from the gospel because it's a hard chapter. I've been in churches, I've actually worked in churches where they've been like, let's not do that. Some stuff is better when we can like sit in a class and peel it apart and talk a lot about it. But we're also never gonna shy away from something that's hard. But what I love so much about this is this chapter two is sandwiched between chapters one and three. This godliness, you know, all we have for life and godliness, God's love for us, we share in God's godliness himself. And then chapter three, God's heart for the lost and that he is not slow in concerning his promises, but he's patient so that everyone on the planet can know him. So this, this is something that was heavy on Peter's heart, this shepherd who knew he's about to die. God had told him, he told us in chapter one, my time is coming to an end. And we do know from history, he, he probably died just a few years later. But here's the thing that was on his heart. False teaching has always existed from Satan in the garden to, to today's, uh, you know, added in uh, in order to get a real, you know, meaning of the gospel, gospel, which is false, to religion that says you got to do this, um, you got to think this way, and if not, you're not really in the club kind of thinking. There's always been false teaching, and so God is, is making it known to us. Hey, it's always existed, but I always deal with it. This culture wants you living according to its way. You know, uh, this, this free-for-all as long as culture decides it and defines it for you. Uh, religion wants you to, you know, to, uh, to, to, to adhere to what it calls you to. Oh, you have to do this and add this and add this. And if you look at the Old Testament, God gave them 600 plus laws and the, the people who were supposed to be leading God's people gave them 700 plus more. If my, I don't know, Nate, if Nate's in here, he can correct me. I think it's right around there. So actually man added in more than God gave them to the mix. Because religion always says, yeah, but this too. It's why the, you know, the, the, the Jews of the day struggle with Christianity early on. It's why religion still today struggles with Christianity because it wants to own your freedom by making you not free. It wants to define your identity instead of you knowing who you are uh, in Christ as a new creation. Um, so Peter here, he, he touches on three stories from the Old Testament that were, that were very well known. And you may or may not know of them or you may know of some of them or you're like, what was the angel thing talking about? But he, he's, he's dealing with, he's mentioning these three stories where God dealt with wickedness uh, or sin or stuff that was out of control, rebellious angels, the flood and Noah and all that, and, and Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and these rebellions against God, they, they brought consequences. But God's always faithful to deliver his people because in those stories, there was always a deliverance. There was always a deliverance. There's always a, a remnant or a, or a saving part of it so that, so that God could be seen as one who saved those who even if they struggled like Lot, that, that he said, I, I still love Lot. Lot. Lot loves me. He's just in a tough spot. Sometimes he's not the, the wisest in the world, but he's still, he's still mine. So I'm gonna rescue Lot. And so he uses righteous Lot as his main example as Peter's writing. And this whole letter is intense and the chapter's hard. 
But it comes from a man, Peter, who had failed at the deepest level. If you know the story of Peter, we know he denied Jesus three times at Jesus' most desperate moment after Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times just a couple of hours before. And he did that. He knows despair and sadness and brokenness. He knows the, the trials that seem to say, you, you know, you did this and you never have a shot again. You're stained for all time. That's what trials tell you. That's what the enemy feeds you. Uh, even sometimes religion will, will feed you that. Peter also knows the joy of restoring salvation that only Jesus can bring. So he's warning us from a shepherd's heart here. He's passionately convinced, and he wants us to know our big idea today is that God knows how to rescue you. Wherever you are, whatever your own doing, the doings of circumstances around you, or just something you're struggling in that, that you wouldn't have chosen but happened, God knows how to rescue you. And God loves the world. And he's determined to rescue it through Jesus. We're going to hyper-focus on that next Sunday. But because he loves the world and he wants to rescue the world from darkness, he has to deal with sin. And he has to deal with injustice. And he has to deal with this deception that, uh, that, that's meant to, to, to suck followers away from, from following the way. Satan uses these things to destroy people, to get them drawn in or, or off focus or, or loving what they're getting in the moment versus the truth of following God. And we come to follow Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, you will never have a problem again. Everything will go well with you and your bank account. Don't even look at, look at it. It's, it's, it's always gonna increase. He never says that. He says, count the cost. The world's against you. It's a narrow path. However, I created the world. I saved the world. I killed sin. I destroyed Satan. And I am the only eternal life. And so that's also what you get. But here, it's, we're in a broken world that is winding down over time. Every day gets one day closer to the end. It's why, you know... <laughs> God is, is, is making such a big deal about the, the draw of sin and yet letting us know, I can save anyone and I know how. Don't be drawn off by that. Don't be enticed by that. Don't, don't give in to that. Let me rescue you or just keep following me and let me use you to rescue people. It's so nice that, that again, chapter two is not the last thing Peter writes to us. Chapter three is coming. And so we have no fear. Truth and love will triumph every time. That's the point of the book. That's why we call it Triumphant Grace when we're looking at this, this entire series that we're in. And as hard as it might be to read, this, even this chapter is full of hope for you. It's, it's full of hope for those you love that are struggling. It's hope for this entire lost and broken world around us. And it's really good to challenge ourselves in our everyday lives to take inventory of how we're doing, to take inventory of what we're doing, to take inventory of what we're focusing on, what we're worshiping. Whatever has your focus has your worship. 
So you're focusing on bank account, bank account, bank account, pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Uh, you know, not being as bad as the world, but doing the things that are kind of fun over here. That's your worship. And so it's good to take inventory and go, hey, I've, I've, according to scripture, I'm off. I claim to follow Jesus, yet I'm doing this over here. I need to make things right. And here's the thing. You don't have to earn your way back. You just have to go, God, forgive me, help me. And he does that because the Lord knows how to save you. Chapter two, verse nine. So you see the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials. And you might be like, yeah, I'm not that godly. If you believe in Jesus, if he's your Lord and Savior, you're godly. You might be struggling. You might be choosing unwisely. But if you follow Jesus and if your faith is in him and the Holy Spirit resides in you, which happens at salvation, you are a godly person. Don't buy the lie of the enemy that says, well, you've already lost it, so just keep on going. That's why Paul tells us very emphatically in Romans 12, 9 to pay attention. He says, hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. He's telling us in this entire chapter of, of, of chapter 12 of Romans, which is a very powerful chapter about how to live life for Jesus as a walking billboard in a, in a dark and broken world. And he says, man, hold tightly to what's true and, and pay attention to what's wrong and don't buy into it. And Peter, he spends this entire chapter illustrating this very point in incredibly passionate and clear terms to warn us about deception. Deception that's often powerful and pleasurable, even can be profitable, he says it here. But ultimately, it's completely destructive, and it leads to death. And no one wants to have spiritual death. I don't, even if you're in here or you're watching online or you're listening on the radio and you don't believe in Jesus yet, I don't think anybody wants spiritual death. We wouldn't be like, yeah, I'd like to sign up for that today. <laughs> Nobody would. We're made to know Jesus, yet we have this civil war in this flesh versus spirit. Nobody wants spiritual death. Yet sometimes we've gone so far over, or we've gotten so cold to or numb to, uh, or we just go, you know, what's the big deal about, you know, this person or that person or doing this or acting that way? It's a big deal because it doesn't look like Jesus. And so Peter's saying, man, let him rescue you if you need rescuing and pay attention so that you don't fall into it and then go after those who are lost in it. Be the Jesus to people to see them saved. So we live aware, but never in fear, and always in rescue mode to see others saved and rescued. The enemy has no power. Paul tells us in, in Romans 12, hate what's wrong, hold tightly to what's good, and then we have to realize the enemy has no real power in this world. He's granted a measure of influence for now over those who don't know Jesus. He has no power over those who follow Jesus unless we give it to him and invite him in. He's defeated. So the only power that he would ever have in our lives is when we give into it, when we buy into it, or we toy with it and we become infected by it. In Colossians chapter two, we read about how Jesus disarmed Satan, how he defeated him, embarrassed him, stripped him bare at the cross. Colossians 2.13 says, you were 
dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you, believer of Jesus, follower of Jesus, made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them at the cross. It's why for us who believe in Jesus, every day is resurrection day. Every day is resurrection Sunday. Every day is Easter because we live alive because the enemy's been defeated. So when we're faced with temptation, we look to God knowing that God knows how to rescue us, how to deliver us, how to save us from. And as we grow in godliness, we live in the joy of Jesus. We, we live in the true freedom of our salvation. It's why Paul makes such a big deal about taking it seriously in, in Ephesians Chapter 6, when he's talking about the, the full armor of God, he tells us how, how we're, we need to put on this full armor of God and, and stand firm in God's power. Ephesians 6, that armor of God thing is not a children's church only lesson. It is for us as believers in Jesus. Paul writes this in verse 10. He says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. And then he goes on to name them and he says, you have the truth that holds everything together. You have righteousness that protects your heart. You have peace for those places the Holy Spirit leads you as a peacemaker. You have faith protecting you from the enemy's onslaught, that shield. You have salvation over your mind to guard your mind from the lies and from your own flesh. And then you have the Bible, your sword of the spirit. It's your, it's your weapon to protect your life, to protect the life of, uh, of, of those that you love, that maybe you're, you're, you're commissioned to, to guard and raise and grow kids or, or your spouse or those loved ones in your life that, that God says, watch over them. This word of God will defend them and it allows us to go into battle for those who are lost and not worry because we've got a weapon the enemy can't, can't stop. No shield, no scheme, no armor the enemy can stop the word of God. It's truth that pierces to the very core of everything. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us great examples to live by these these heroes, uh, some of us call it the, the hall of faith where it mentions all of these great people and some of them you're like, really, you got in there, wow, you know? But it's heroes who were just everyday people who messed up on their own, yet they trusted God and his promises and they stayed focused on him. And it wasn't that they never wavered and never failed, but in humility they looked to God. They reached out to him. They knew it was all about him and they trusted God's heart for them because the Lord knows how to rescue the godly in trials. Hebrews 11, it's really this relationship 
point. You read Hebrews 11 and you study those people, you realize that relationship was the key for those Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith members. As I was preparing this week for the message, the one thing that really stood out to me was that God said, I want my people to know I cover them, that I'm the protector, that nothing can harm them. I don't give anything uh, the, the authority or the permission to hurt my people. I don't give anyone permission to come after my people and their soul and their spirit. I am their guardian. They are mine. Those are my kids. Those are my sons and my daughters that my son died for. And so I will not let anyone take them. I will not let anyone have them. And as I was praying and going, okay, Lord, I hear you and I love that, but what do you have for us? I felt like he said, I want to declare Psalm 91 over my people at HCF on Sunday, over those watching online or listening or tuning in later. I want my people to know I am for them and nothing will get through me except for my blessings towards them. So I'm gonna ask you to stand right now we're gonna do a couple songs of worship here in a moment, but I wanna declare Psalm 91 over you. And it's cool because I was, I was looking at this this week and I, and I had forgotten, but Psalm 91 is also called a soldier's psalm because it's about battle. And then I'm, realized, I'm looking at this on Friday and it's Veterans Day and I'm like, that's cool. On the Sunday after Veterans Day, just a couple days later, we're gonna declare a soldier's psalm over all of us. And I'm so grateful for our veterans that serve faithfully uh, for our nation, for me. So grateful. Men and women who served and gave up, you know, what they could have been doing, put their lives on the line, that, that love the flag, that, that love our God, those who know Jesus, and said, no greater love than this, that I'm willing to lay out my life for my brothers and sisters in America. And now we're gonna read this soldier's psalm, this psalm of confidence over us. And some of you, you're stuck in places of your own doing. And Jesus says, let me rescue you. I know how. Some of you, you're stuck in places and you had nothing to do with it. You're just there right now. And Jesus says, trust me, look to me. I'll walk you out of this. Some of you, it's maybe it's circumstances of health or finance or relationship that, that maybe it's some you're doing, but some just, it's a broken world we live in. And Jesus says, I know. I know it hurts and I know it's hard, but, but I also know how to deliver you and rescue you because I saved the godly. Nothing stops me. A world of wickedness during Noah's days. And God said, those eight, I'm gonna save them even in a world that says everyone else is wicked and you do your own thing. God knows, the Lord knows. So I'm gonna read this over us, knowing there's no fear that Satan has uh, a measure of time that he's allowed to, to, to wreak a little havoc on the planet, but not in our lives. He has no ownership over followers of Jesus and maybe the whole thing speaks to you and maybe a certain verse will just pierce but whatever you need right now, and then as we go into a song of worship, and like Jeremy said, maybe you need to come up here during the worship time, uh, you just say, God, help me. I believe. I believe. Help me. So this is our prayer today. Close your eyes. Take it in. 
and be ministered to. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about, uh, about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night nor the arrows that fly by day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, those evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. And I will reward them with long life and give them my salvation. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Live like the light. Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full service replays, visit us online at hcfburnit.org. God bless and have a great week.